Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Banking Experiences Elevated, a Hyosung Innoview podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and folks, thank you so much for joining us on another episode here in studio of the podcast as we continue to explore major technologies, trends, and market movers that are shaping the financial and the banking industry with the Hyosung Interview team. Uh, as we're getting into today's episode, make sure that you're heading to our website, hyosunginterview.com. Again, hyosunginterview.com for previous episodes of the show, for uh, other episodes of Retail Experiences Elevated, and other useful information about our solutions and services, and plenty of other content. So again, hyosunginterview.com. All right, folks, let's go ahead and jump in. There's a lot to break down today because this is a report heavy conversation. We have some timely news to unpack and dissect and then connect the dots with how some of these reports are highlighting important shifts in how people pay and interact with that ritual of paying for a service, paying for a product, right? Uh, and understanding how the technologies and the services of financial institutions should adapt, continue to influence, and uh, play a dynamic role with these shifting trends. So. What reports are we talking about? Well, the Federal Reserve released two major reports in the last few months. So the first, the Federal Reserve Payment Study of 2022 Triennial Data, and the second, the Federal Reserve 2023 Findings from the Diary of Consumer Payment Choice. So both of these are critical for gauging both consumers and businesses' spending choices. So this uh, payment study, the first one looked at core non-cash payments used in the United States by consumers, businesses, governments, um, measures everything from uh, general purpose and private label cards to automated clearinghouse transfers, checks, ATM cash withdrawals. It's very comprehensive. The second study, the 2023 uh, Consumer Payment Choice Findings, uh, looks at specifically consumer payment trends, including the balance between cash and non-cash payments, in-person versus uh, P2P purchases, cash holdings, etc. So that's a lot, right? But what do these reports reveal? That's the big question that we're wanting to unpack today. What's changing and what's staying consistent in how both consumers and businesses are interacting with payments and actually going through the payment process? What does this tell us about some of the underlying trends in payment habits and technologies? And more importantly, again, how should financial institutions adapt their services and solutions to match, shape, or reinforce these trends? So let's go ahead and jump in with our guest for today. We're joined in studio by my favorite Hyosung interview <laughs> professional. Uh, don't tell Brad. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Bill Putty, VP of Banking Strategy and Solutions at Hyosung Interview. Bill, great to have you back in studio, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. Always happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a, always a pleasure getting to chat. And um, I'm particularly excited for these conversations where we can unpack some trends that are very granular, you know, data-rich stuff, because it really gives us that pulse check on the health of the industry, the state of the industry, the dynamics that are shaping you know, Kyosung interviews, services and solutions, of course, but more widely the uh, financial and banking industry. Uh, and um, I'm a nut for getting into the, the weeds. So yeah. I appreciate yeah. you wanting to chat about this today because it's no, definitely it, important. It's super interesting stuff. And it, it, it's, it really kind of, every time these like, data rich reports come out, it gives you a chance to really kind of calibrate where you're going with things. And, and a lot of times it ratifies some decisions that were made based on uh, experience. And a lot of times, there's other times where it really kind of shows a shift that's happening and, and uh, informs decisions that you've got to make over the next year or two to, to try to figure out strategically a direction to go that's going to take advantage of uh, those shifts, that's going to be able to accommodate those shifts, whether it's you know trying to get a leg up on competition or whether it's just trying to make sure you're prepared for the change in operations that's going to that's going to entail. So exactly. it's really it's really a great landmark to to kind of set your feet on and really kind of you know look forward for a strategy for the coming years. Totally agree. So let's just go ahead and get into it because there's a lot to unpack without getting too in the weeds because we'll obviously do that here in just a few minutes. But what are your just general takeaways from these two reports? If you had to just summarize after reading them, uh, you know, what was that synthesis that's most important? Sure, that's a, that's it's that's always kind of the first thing you really kind of look for too, right? It's a it's a great way to kind of ground yourself in what you're looking at. And the the one thing that that um, it didn't really jump out at me, but the one thing that was really great to kind of grasp a lot of data on was the that triennial report, the one that does the the mass accumulation of all the statistics across the country. 
only every three years. Right? So this is the first real look at that data since the pandemic. Right? Yeah, they've which been is huge. reduced. Yeah, they've been producing this report for a couple decades now, and we've got some really good trends. We all have some very anecdotal kind of views on what happened during the pandemic from a payment choice perspective, from a from a way people kind of just view their money and view their payments. Um, and we had little snippets of surveys and things, um, but this is kind of a solid, um, uh, I guess, economy-wide set of data that shows exactly how many how many times a credit card was used and a debit card was used and a private label card was used. And it really highlights that change that took place, that inflection point that happened, that not only was it an inflection point, but it truly was a lasting inflection point, right? It wasn't just a, a, an adjustment based on certain circumstances that, that changed back to normal like a rubber band, right? It changed the inflection point and now we've kind of got a new a new normal to look at from uh, a little less usage of cash, a little more usage of, of cards, change in the mix of the cards that are used though, um, based on other market conditions that are happening. So it's just, there was a lot going on the last three years. And this data really kind of gets down to, okay, we knew there was a lot going on, but it tells us a couple things that, that you kind of can pull out of it to say, well, that was something that may be in the a lot category, but really couldn't quite verbalize that piece. Right. And that was something that we all knew was happening, but now there's data to back it up. So there, there were a couple of things like that that were really uh, kind of interesting to be able to, to pull from it. And then that uh, the consumer choice report, uh, that's always kind of a good companion study to this because that really gets to how many times people choose to use cash versus card when they're paying. And then, then it breaks it down by demographics. And you can kind of see whether things change with uh, age groups or uh, uh, different types of cohorts. And it, it really kind of provides a, a, a complement to that, especially when it comes to, again, that kind of effect from the last three years and kind of where our new normal might be. Right. And, you know, I know myself looking over the report and prepping for our interview, uh, there were some data sets that, um, you know, while anecdotally I may have actually thought were trending in a different direction, either like didn't, they didn't decline or increase as much as I had thought, or actually it was a, a, a flip. Uh, the trend line was not what I was expecting at all. And I think that is also very useful to understand how some of these things that maybe feel anecdotally accurate based on how we experience the pandemic aren't actually matching up in the stats. And it says a lot about some of the some of the resiliency of the way that uh, consumers and businesses interact with payments that even the pandemic didn't really shift that much. Um, so we'll get into that here. Let's go ahead and start with the payment study. So again, this is the um, 2022 Federal Reserve payment study, the triennial data one. So um, here's one part that stood out to me. So the study showed that the value of core non-cash payments in the US grew faster from 2018 to 2021 than in any previous measurement period since 2000. So that's big. And that one kind of aligns with what we expected to see from the pandemic, right? Non-cash payments grew faster. What do you think this says though, more fundamentally about how payers are using their array of payment methods? And is that all pandemic motivated or is this a reflection of sort of a larger trend line that was already going up? Well, so yeah, I mean, the trend line was going up. I think the the key part of that was that it went up faster this period than it's ever done in the past. And I think this, so that's the that combination of the already up trend line with, okay, there was a period of time where you couldn't do anything. Like you, you couldn't meet people. You couldn't show up face to face and, and hand over. And there was a period of time where there was uncertainty around whether using cash was even safe. And I think we debunked a lot of that stuff. But still, when the, there was uncertainty around a lot of things. So when there's uncertainty, you tend to pull back and be as cautious as possible. And, um, you know, it's the old adage about, you know, three weeks makes a habit, right? Yeah. Um, it was a lot longer than that. So people had some habits that started to get ingrained. Um, and then that really kind of showed itself in, well, now people are, are using cards and especially debit cards, because that was kind of the subcategory that grew a, a ton. Over half, of, over half of the payments in that study that it, uh, are debit card payments, right? Uh, 200 billion payments over 100 billion are credit card or debit cards. Um, and that really, uh, you kind of tie that together, tie it around, well, how did that happen? Well, you know, people who might have been in that unbanked or underbanked category all, now didn't really have a choice anymore. Um, and they started to do that kind of entry level into kind of almost banked, right? right? 
um, any convenience store you go to, you can buy a prepaid debit card now at the, at the counter, right? That's kind of that entry point that if you were unbanked or underbanked in the past, maybe you didn't even look at that because you had cash in your wallet and you're going to make payments for stuff, whatever. Um, kind of forced to make that choice now and then saw the convenience and maybe didn't go back, right? right? So um, it, it, I think that's a good thing, right? You're introducing banking services to more people. You have a little bit more choice now. Now they can buy things on the internet. Um, opens a few doors, but I think that's the, that's kind of the, the thing that really kind of jumped out at me is that, you know, more and more people are using it now that that trend line goes up even higher. I, I think you're going to continue to see that additionally, even as the economy expands, right? I mean, more people, more businesses, more payments in general, yeah. that number is going to keep going up. Right. Uh, another stat that stood out to me that wasn't all too surprising, um, but had sort of a caveat that was like, oh, I'm wasn't expecting that. It's about check usage. So check usage in general plummeted. Um, however, despite the decline in the number of check payments, the average value of check payments actually increased substantially from 2018 to 2021. So I'm curious what role you see checks still playing for payers, you know, whether consumers or businesses, um, and what these trends signal about how people are even using checks in their payment options. Well, yeah, that was actually a really interesting data point that jumped out at me too. Right? Um, checks have been falling for a while. I mean, it's, that's just kind of a general trend in the in the space. Um, it, it just fewer and fewer opportunities to use checks as more and more options come into play. Um, whether it's people choosing cards over checks because more places take card than in the past, businesses accepting credit cards has become a lot easier than it used to be, right? Back in the days of the, you know, carbon slam thing where, uh, you may be too young to remember that, but <laughs> like, um, you know, it, it's, it, a lot of businesses wouldn't take credit cards, right? Um, you know, there was this old pizza place in Dayton where I grew up that just adamantly refused to take credit cards even into the 2010s. And finally they wow. uh, turned the corner and they take credit cards now because it's so easy to sign up to take credit cards where it wasn't in the past. Um, that's where a lot of check usage would happen, right? You also had a lot of check usage, um, you know, buying your Girl Scout cookies, right? When I was younger, I'd buy Girl Scout cookies with a check or you, the, the donation to the PTO, right? Well, all those play, like the peer, the abundance of the peer person to person or peer to peer payments like Venmo and Zelle and all that right. kind of stuff. Those are super easy for, uh, small organizations to sign up for. Um, you know, I just, I, literally bought Girl Scout cookies with Venmo because yeah. right? I didn't have to write a check anymore. Um, or, and, you know, pay my, uh, my daughters in high school and pay her athletic fees right. through, Z through Zelle, through a Zelle payment, right? So um, things like that, that because it's so easy for organizations to sign up for it, it's become an option now. Um, those things have disappeared. Um, the thing that struck me, though, was that the total value went up. So that kind of indicates a change not just a reduction in checks overall, but a change in the use case, right? right because right. the value only goes up if the number of large value checks did go up, right. not down, right? So you, you're seeing all those small value checks eliminated, you know, maybe grandma writing a $10 check for a birthday gift or writing a check for a Girl Scout cookies or whatever, right. but you're seeing more checks at the high end, you know, a few thousand dollars down payment on a car, um, when you're opening a loan or things like that. Um, so it kind of changes the, the overall use case of checks in general. Um, and especially with the proliferation of like the, in, the mobile apps where you take the picture of the check to deposit in your account, right. those always have kind of caps that are fraud-based caps on how big the check can be. If it's over that, you got to take it into the branch. Right. Um, so the usefulness of that kind of starts to be... Um, you know, you're starting to kind of make it harder for customers to use, for consumers to use it if the, the number of checks they can use it on gets diminished pretty quickly. But also with the use case changes, now you're, the, the overall kind of fraud, um, the, you know, like the fraud rules you put around it also have to change, right? right? Because if the fraud rules are based on a usage pattern and now that usage pattern is shifting, you're going to get more false positives, maybe some some actual fraud slips through because you don't have the right rules. So there's a lot of analysis that's gonna to have to take place based on that whole changing use case that really kind of ensures that those kind of fraud rules stay up to date, right. all that kind of stuff. So th there's a few implications from a consumer perspective as well as from a bank operations perspective that really kind of need to be looked at there. But it's a, it's a fascinating change, one that I didn't really expect to see. Yeah, totally. Uh, another one that stood out to me was the value of card payments also grew, and it actually grew faster in this 2018 to 2021 time period 
than any other measurement period uh, for the payment study. The study showed that of those card payments, prepaid debit card payments, that was surprising to me, prepaid debit card payments grew at the greatest rate by value since 2018. Like 20% or something year over year. Yeah. Like huge, huge category. I'm curious why though, why prepaid debit cards, especially you know, when you mention some of these other trends of um, ease of mm, passing money along, paying with your phone, paying uh, you know, with your already existing credit card, where does the prepaid debit card fit and why do you think we saw such a boom? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a great question. We're talking a little bit about, you know, it being an entry, an entry door for, for banking services. Sure. Um, so I, I think there was a large category of that that was, you know, people who used to, you know, their, their entire economy was cash, um, who now needed a way to buy services. And that prepaid debit card was the easiest thing to go get because it was sitting there at the convenience store at the checkout counter. Um, I think you see a lot of gifts that happen with that now, the like I kind of talked about grandma writing a ten dollar check to her son or whatever, or right. grandson or whatever. But um, you know, I don't think grandmas are giving gift cards. But I think you do see a lot of gift cards being given as as gifts, which are the prepaid debit cards and things like that, especially for like graduation gifts and all that kind of stuff. Um, but th- and then there's also uh, it, it's a good entry point for kids to teach them, you know, financial responsibility as well as kind of how to navigate making payments with things other than the $20 bill that you have in your pocket to open the door to banking services for them too. So I think there's, there's a lot of use cases there. Um, and and I still don't think we know all of why that was. Um, part of the reason was the number was relatively as a small base, but a 20% year over year growth for a three year period is, is going to get that small base up pretty big, uh, relatively quickly. So, um, I I think that's also one that, that really kind of bears continued, uh, kind of watching just to kind of make sure that it, it doesn't kind of cause problems if you make assumptions that now aren't true, right? About how kind of all those cards interact with each other. Right. Um, here, and like the other side of that coin in the credit card space, one of the things that really dipped that kind of was a, a little bit shocking but made sense when I thought about it was yes. the private the private label cards. Mm. You know, like the cards you used to get like if you went to Best Buy and it was a Best Buy only card that wasn't a, anything you could use anywhere else right. or at Macy's or things like that. Um, the biggest value that those cards really provided was kind of that layaway style. That was the evolution of layaway, right? Before those existed, you, you bought on layaway or whatever. Again, right. you might be too young to oh, know well, that. But, yeah. um, but I, well, it was funny. I actually had to buy on layaway for furniture at a yeah. uh, used furniture, furniture store not they too still long ago. Do that, yeah, yes. so that um, was my one and only experience <laughs> with layaway. So, but, but it kind of evolved into those private label credit cards right. too that stores offered. But uh, with the proliferation of buy now pay later style opportunities. It, it, with a lot of different places offering that functionality, those private label cards, that was the probably the biggest decline out of any of the categories was that private label card usage too was, yeah. was really though. And that kind of surprised me when I saw it, but then I'm like, oh, it kind of makes sense now when I see that. Happen. Right. Yeah. And again, I, a lot of these are just reflections of the dynamics yeah. for how consumers are already paying and how they're being incentivized to pay and really extensions of you know, it's not like you wake up one morning and say, you know what, today I'm, you know, I've decided I'm not going to use my debit card anymore. I'm going to use peer-to-peer payments or I'm going to use my credit card or whatever. Uh, it's more a reflection of how the ecosystem where they spend their money is, is changing the services that they provide. And so if they are providing, for example, buy now, pay later services, and that's becoming more of a standard and it's convenient and easy to use for the consumer, then they're probably going to stop using the private label cards, right? You know, it's not like a focused shift away from private label cards. It's a consequence of an improvement to the customer experience. Yeah, right. Yeah, a lot of it is the customer experience. And I even think that ties back to the prepaid debit card thing, right? If you think about five or six or seven years ago, you know, what did people use prepaid debit cards for? It was basically just a point of sale usage. But you know, again, over the last few years and the proliferation of buying things online, first out of necessity and then out of, okay, now it's more convenient than running to the store all the time because the delivery is included and all that. Um, There's utility in a prepaid card that wasn't there in the past. So it's a little bit more useful. There's a little bit better customer experience wrapped around it, even though at its core, it's still the same thing. That's going to drive usage up. Uh, Another trend from this survey before we jump to the next one is that, 
and this might be one that Hyosung Interview has uh, even more specific insight into, but the number of ATM cash withdrawals apparently dropped uh, substantially from 2018 to 2021. But much like checks, the average value of that ATM cash withdrawal actually went up. So it's not necessarily that it's less useful. It's just, again, the use case, the reason why you're going to the ATM has shifted. So I'm curious what you says, uh, excuse me, I'm curious what you think this says about people's relationship to cash and the evolving ritual of going to the ATM, getting that wad of bills and then doing something with it, you know? Yeah, well, and that, and that kind of ties into then the second report as well on the, the consumer payments yeah. um, uh, survey. But, uh, you know, people are going to the ATM less often. There, there are fewer transactions, but they are getting more out when they go. Part of that, I mean, a little bit of that's inflation, right? You, you need more money to buy the same things that you bought five years ago. Um, uh, but there also is a part of it where um, when you look into that payment choice survey, uh, people are holding more cash. Um, people are having more cash on them than uh, recently. It's kind of been one of those that went down and now it's kind of going back up again. Um, and then you, you pair that with uh, data that the Federal Reserve releases every month about the, no the amount of cash in circulation, which has continuously gone up every month for the last couple decades. And you kind of see this kind of view of, well, there's still a whole lot of cash circulating in the economy. Yeah. Um, we it, the, the numbers show it being used less often, but that's because uh, part as a as a portion of payments um, but a big part of that is because not because it goes down a lot from a from a payments usage perspective but because of the other categories have gone up as we talked about already so dramatically like debit card usage went up dramatically over the past three years so even if you're using five dollars in cash to pay for that pack of gum at the convenience store the same amount of times the proportion is going to be lower yeah. right um, and, and it really kind of then it, you know, reinforces the fact that you know I mean I've been doing banking style stuff for a couple of decades now. And even when I started, people were talking about how cash is going to go away. We're going to be a cashless society. And cash, it just reinforces the fact that cash isn't going away. It's still a, a fundamental foundational part of our economy. Um, there's a whole lot of other payment methods um, that are used way more often than cash. Let's be honest, that's what the data tells us. Um, but cash is not a small part of the economy. It's a really big part of the economy. And it's um, there, there's a lot of still... Uh, reasons why people choose it, uh, uh, privacy, security, um, like one of the biggest ones is still, it's the best way to budget. Like if you have a budgeting problem, the best way to budget is to take that cash and say, this is how much money I have to spend yeah. until the next time I get more, next time I get paid or whatever. And you can't overextend yourself if you're budgeting with cash because it's impossible. You can overextend yourself on a credit card. So, um, there, there's a lot of things about it that make it an integral part of our economy that means it's not going to go away. It's going to be a smaller portion, but it's still going to be out there a lot. Totally. Any other major findings from this survey that stood out to you before we jump over to the next one? Anything we haven't touched on yet? Well, I mean, I think those that hit the big one. The checks the and the, the debit cards were the, the, the prepaid debit cards were the two things that really stood out. I mean, right. it just it, the like I said, they've been doing this this uh, data collection for decades, and this was the first time that the number of checks was the smallest category out of all of the categories. So that was really something that kind of struck me. And at you know the kind of the other side of that cash isn't going away coin is that I think checks they're starting to kind of get into that they're going to be going away relatively soon thing because the, as the as the number gets lower, um, the technology around it uh, it's a I mean, it's a more expensive per use style of technology now because right. now, now you're not putting as many checks through it as you used to, but it's still the same machine. So now right. it's, you know, there's going to be less and less investment in advancements in that technology because there's a lot less volume there, um, which then is going to disincentivize people from using checks more. And it's kind of that kind of re self-reinforcing cycle um, that eventually we're going to follow the path of some other countries that have gotten, that have almost gotten rid of all of them. And it, that right. may be now a special use case where it's only, you know, large pay, a vehicle for large payments and things. Right. But then even then, you know, like, I feel like the customer experience, the consumer experience of using a check often feels a little stressful. You know, yeah. it's, it's it, because especially like, you're typically not passing along 20 bucks on a check right. anymore. It's usually yeah. something a little more substantial. You don't have that cash on hand or, or I don't know, maybe you're just, uh, 
conditioned to, instead of sending that over Venmo, you're 200 or 300 for X, you write the check, boom. Well, right? it's already been baked into some banking operations. Like, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I can remember opening my first account and the very first thing they did was, okay, here's your box of checks and right. here's how to use checks. And it, cause that was like a cornerstone. Well, that's, that's how my, I find my routing number yeah, for exactly. whenever anyone asks me for it. I'm like, okay, I gotta find my checks. Gotta check find book. my checks. Yeah. And uh, my daughter in high school, she just opened a high school checking account. Right. They didn't even ask whether we wanted any, let alone provide them. Right. It was just, here's your debit card. Now you have a you have a checking account, even though there's no checks. Here's your checking account. Because right. so the, the the name is still there from a legacy, but it's like the the operations have already adjusted from a consumer standpoint to uh, disincentivize use because it's harder to get them. Um, there are other options that are easier to use. Uh, it, it's kind of it's going to kind of self feed that cycle as it continues. For sure. And I feel like the safety part of the customer experience is not that strong with checks. Mm, yeah. You know, once you once you pen in and sign that there's five hundred dollars associated with this little this slip, then what happens? May you know? I'm. I would love to see some stats on fraudulent check numbers and how those are trending in the U.S. But I know even just anecdotally. Uh, it is a stressful experience to go drop off a check in the mailbox for your, you know, landlord or to deliver that check to the, um, you know, parent-teacher organization to help fund the school play because there's just something that, you know, there is the possibility that that envelope just gets lost or someone nabs it and cashes it for themselves. And I mean, there isn't that level of you know, big question mark when you send something even over Venmo. Like if you've got the confident username, you know you're sending it to Bill Buddy. So, you know, that's probably not gonna get intercepted. And if it does, then like, okay, that's probably not the fault of the actual experience or ecosystem. It was a bad actor at play. But checks, I think, carry more of that, I don't know, stressful experience. Well, and that's also something that comes with debit cards and credit cards is the built-in fraud infrastructure on that network that protects the consumer. Um, even if there is fraud, it's, you know, uh, it, it's footed by the network, not by the right. consumer, where, you know, sometimes with checks, it can be a little more difficult. Um, and that is a significant fraud vector the, with the mobile app pictures, because right. the, uh, the ultimate check clearing is still driven by who owns the piece of paper. So if you take an, uh, like a fraud vector being if you take an image and then you go try to deposit the paper, too, so you get two deposits out of it, that that that's why the the limits on the apps are low because they try to limit that as much as possible. Yeah, it's it's interesting seeing these dynamics play out in real time. And I have a feeling, you know, I, I agree that checks will probably will see the grave soon. Yeah. You know? Um at least sort of. I sort mean they're, they're of, yeah, probably right. still kind of be kind of like an appendix, you know, they're vestigial there that a cashier's or, yeah, check, you every know. Every once in you... a while. It's like you know you never say totally gone, but right. it, for for general purposes you're gonna you're gonna see it pretty much be an afterthought. Yeah. I think. All right, next survey that we're gonna speak on is the consumer payment choice findings. So uh, let's just jump right into it. This study showed a continued shift towards credit card payments into 2023, uh, which I think is pretty in line with other trends we're seeing. It's in line with the other survey. Um, However, the use of debit cards and cash did hold steady at 2020 levels. So even though credit card use was up, it wasn't at the expense of cash, or at least not at the expense of cash significantly to the point where it's like, wow, people are really replacing their cash payments with credit card payments it seems more like they're taking more into credit card payments, but their use cases for cash are remaining somewhat steady. What are your thoughts there? Does that reflect in what you're seeing as well? Uh, anecdotally, was that surprising to you or, or in line with what you were expecting? I, I think it is in line, uh, again, based on um, what we see uh, as we continue to kind of, you know, it, we. Our, one of our biggest businesses is machines that help handle cash, right? Whether that's for a retailer or for a bank. Um, and it, we're continuing to see a focus on trying to do that as efficiently as possible because moving those pieces of paper around and counting them and reconciling them, um, it can be uh, hard, error prone, lots of labor involved. Um, so we are seeing a continued demand for that kind of stuff. Um, the one thing that was kind of interesting to me when you can kind of compare history that they, they show kind of year over year in that report as well. And yeah. like five or six or seven years of history too. 
um, is that again, as expected, that 2020 survey really showed uh, a decline uh, at that an initial bump down in cash usage down to about that 19% level. Right. Um, but then it's kind of held steady the last few years, as you mentioned. Um, and I think that kind of shows, that kind of creates a, a, a data-centered floor, I think, for cash usage, where it's, you know, if it were gonna go lower, it would have, because the, the, that force of the pandemic would have pushed it as low as possible. And I think kind of that, that kind of revealed where the floor is, where we're probably not gonna go below that um, considerably. I mean, it'll probably still vacillate a percentage point or two just based on the survey. But um, I, I think you're still seeing a, a good fifth of the economy being you know, cash-based, at least from a, uh, at least from a kind of transactional uh, perspective. Yeah. Um, and it still kind of bears out in some of the, the data points you see around it. The average cash transaction is small. Uh, it's still a preferred payment method when you talk about a small $5, $7 transaction, because again, when you talk about the customer experience, really the customer experience trumps all, right? And, you know, if you're talking about a $5 spend, well, it's easier to hand over a $5 bill than get your credit card out and then have that show up on your statement. And, you know, the, the, depending on how detailed you are with reconciling your bank statements, that's just a whole nother kind of, you got a whole list of now small transactions on your credit card. Some people are okay with that. Some people, it, it really kind of kind of gums up their view of their own financials. Totally. Um, a five, it, a two, a three, yeah. a five, a 10 here. It's like, yeah. okay. And then like uh, the other thing that you kind of see with cash too, is that there is, uh, there's a, there's some, uh, there's a whole category of spend where uh, a sp it's something where, um, I don't know how to exactly describe it, but uh, uh, things that maybe you, you can't, 100% justify sometimes, like a splurge payment or something. Yeah. Um, you want to not look at it on your bank statement. Well, th You'd that's prefer exactly to just be right. Like, right? You, I, I spent 60 bucks on this thing because I really wanted it at the time, but but now I kind of, you know, I'm, I'm not sure whether that was, you know, something I want to go back and see when my statement comes. I just want to spend it and then enjoy my purchase. And that's right? a social dynamic. It, it absolutely it's, it less to do with the actual payment trends themselves. But it's, to it's your a, point, but like it's, it, yeah. yeah, and it's it's a social dynamic that's still going to be there for exactly, a while. Exactly, right. And I, I'm not even trying to cast it in negative light. I I've done that myself. I'm yeah. like, you know, I I'm an old guy, but I still like baseball cards, right? So, you know, if I'm going to drop some money, I'm, I, I sometimes I'd rather pay cash just because I want to enjoy it and not then be reminded three weeks later that oh, I spent that much on it. Yeah, no, right. I just want to enjoy it in the moment, right? So, totally. Um, I, I think there's a definitely a social component that contributes to that floor of cash usage that's going to be that's gonna be a pretty significant part of it with staying power for as long as we can see. And I think that really kind of then speaks to the point that um, because that's gonna be out there, um, people and businesses all have to be ready for being able to process all that stuff. Right, cash is not going away. Right, yeah. It's just maybe the role it plays socially or within the ecosystem of payments right. will evolve, but you know, I. I I think the end of cash would have to be forced. It won't be a natural relinquishing because consumers have a, a relationship to it, well, to your that, point. That's very true. To your point. Um, so another trend that stood out in this consumer, um, the consumer payment choice finding study, despite that shift in preference toward credit cards, there actually remained a pretty fundamental level of demand for in-person payments, meaning that these payments aren't all happening online. It's yeah. not just your credit card information being used for e-commerce, being used for grocery delivery, but you're going and you're tapping, chipping, or swiping your card. Um, the study showed that the share of in-person purchases remained steady since 2020. Uh, so what would you say remains popular about in-person purchases, especially with the reality that there are so many other convenient services that remove that need to go to a store and pay? You can use your credit card online, again, for um, you know e-commerce purchases, delivery purchases. So why that steadiness in, in person? Well, I think that's also a social construct too. Um, and, 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 and maybe I'm speaking a little bit more for myself than anything else, but uh, in, even in general though, I mean, people are, you know, a it's a community. We're a community species, right? We like to be around other people. And part of that is your kind of daily habits with buying something or going to the grocery store and maybe running into your neighbor at the grocery store as opposed to sitting on your couch and, you know, ordering the 17 things. 
so, so sometimes it's that. There's, there's a fee-based aspect of it as well, where, yeah. you know, I've been going to the grocery store my whole life. Why should I start paying a $15 fee for someone else to do my grocery shopping now? I, I go to the grocery store. I kind of like picking out the, fr the fruit that I buy instead of just kind of not wanting to participate in that experience. Um, sometimes there's a convenience aspect where I don't have time and then I would fall back on that. So it's nice to have the option, but it's not something that, that I've converted to. And judging by the times when I go out there and experience that myself, it's not something that a lot of people have converted to either, except for when there's a, a reason to do it. Um, I think there's a tactile nature to buying things a lot of times too, uh, you know, especially things like, you know, splurge purchases or um, even clothing type things, right? There's there's something to be said for being able to pick up a shirt and hold it up against yourself to make sure it's the right size, or maybe right. even try it on before buying it. Um, although, yeah, you, you, sending you, back a dress that doesn't fit is well, such and because we're starting to see businesses that don't provide free shipping for returns anymore, right. because they there there was a kind of population of people that were getting into that habit of I'm going to buy it in four different sizes, then return the three that don't fit, and businesses right. kind of kind of caught onto that and said, well. This is a logistics nightmare. Like, it's yeah. a logistics nightmare and we're losing money on it because right. I only sold one dress and the, sh the return shipping ate up my profit for that sale and then some. So um, you know, you get, once that goes away, now it's gonna, there's going to be less convenience associated with buying online anonymously. And now I'm going to go back to the store again. Um, but I, th there's also just, you know, some things that, you know, just... I, like food, for instance, right? If I'm going to go out to eat, sometimes it's nice to have food delivered, but th there is still a an experience associated with going out to eat. And plus, you know, the food comes straight from the kitchen to your table as opposed to being in a car for 15 minutes to get to you, right? So there's a level of freshness as well as a level of the experience of community of being with people that that for pretty much all of those categories, whether it's you know retail, whether it's food, whether it's you know um, you know services. You, you, there's there's an in-person aspect that that makes the experience and then there's other things that you can never do like you know paying for gas you're never gonna be able to do that online right, yeah, right. that's a, I got to do that in person and you know and the whole reason convenience stores exist is because people then oh I'm here I might as well buy myself a soda and a pack of gum right, right? you're gonna do that in person because you want it now as opposed to waiting three days for it to be delivered so I think there's a whole category of things that are you know I'm not I don't want to wait three days I want it now right buy it now and so. again that's an Again, an extension of the customer experience. Yes, exactly. If your social relationship to that payment hasn't changed, even with the proliferation of new convenient ways to pay, you know, maybe now instead you're tapping your phone yes. instead of swiping your card, but that fundamental, oh, well, I can just pay online for my gummy bears. If anything, that's actually more of a hassle. I don't want to go log in and go and swipe. I just want to go... Okay, and, I'm and done, then three right? days later, they come and they're like, "Wait, why did I buy these again? Exactly. I don't want them now." I want, you know, but and even the, the the integrating the tap into the card has made payment the, that customer experience at payment. The tap in the card arguably would be easier than the phone tap in a lot of cases. Right. Um, some of the digital wallets have have mastered that kind of customer experience where it's as easy as tapping the card. But um, the the card is just so easy because it's single use. There is no password to get into it. There, it's just boom and I'm done and it's back in my wallet. And that has also made it so much easier to pay in person just because it's a very simple trans a very simple experience. You're done and you're on your way. Totally. So I would say for folks out there designing the node where you do tap, sometimes it's hard to know where to put my well, card. Yes, that, is, that, that can be true, yes. <laughs> I go like. <laughs> yeah. So. Where's some, the antenna at? Yeah. yeah, right, put some signage on those things, guys. Put some signage on there. Um, Okay, so I think the last major trend I wanted to highlight here um, was that cash payments, we did see some dips. So, for example, a number of in-person payments at retailers returned to pre-pandemic levels, but the number of cash payments did not. So, you know, cash in general was steady, but in a retail context, we did not see a recovery of cash in the same way that we just saw in-person payment in general. Mm -hmm. So why that discrepancy, right? And what do you think this signals? Well, I do think there's a customer experience aspect to that, right? Um, you know, when you had to open your wallet and get the card out and actually hand it over to somebody versus get cash out and hand it over to somebody, that those experiences are almost equal. So s sometimes 
people would have a preference, but sometimes it literally came down to you open your wallet and make a snap decision. Oh, I've got 40 bucks in here. I'm going to pay. Or, which or my oh, four was, cards versus my cash yeah, right. versus my thing. Right which, yeah. you know, now with the tap embedded in cards even, as well as digital wallets, it's become such an easier customer experience. Um, you know, you check out and you've tapped already in the middle of the, the transaction and at the end then it's already done. And there is no, you don't have to worry about counting it out of your wallet and handing it over. So there, there's some aspect of that that has eroded a little bit of the cash usage in person-to-person -person retail payments um, because that experience continues to become incrementally better. And it's really smooth now, so I'm not sure how much better it can get unless they kind of deliver a lollipop to you while you're doing it or something. I don't know, right. but but it's a very smooth, very easy um, experience now to to tap your card in the middle of a transaction, then to have it be done right at the end. Um, that I think that has led to then people continuing to choose that more often because it is not totally equal from an experience standpoint anymore. Because if you do cash, then you got to hand it over and they got to count out your change and hand it back and all that kind of stuff. Some people prefer that, but there's an ease of, of experience with the tap that now becomes something that is going to continue to grow that category. So those are the main points I wanted to hit on from both of the surveys, but I want to ask them now sort of larger uh, questions to take those data points and formulate some strategy. So with now like our, our data points fresh on the mind from these two reports, what do you think these signal about some of the underlying trends in payments? Mm -hmm. And how should financial institutions be interpreting some of these signals? Um, especially some of the big ones like check decline, cash steadiness, uh, debit card usage increasing, in-payment purchases remaining steady or increasing. Generally, what do you think should be the response or strategy to all of this? Um, well, so uh, on the card side, I, I think, you know, as th that volume continues to go up, right, I think there's going to be um, space for banks to uh, differentiate themselves on the types of cards they offer right. to grab more of that wallet share. Nice. Um, whether it's rewards on the back end or whether it's the experience on the front end, um, the card usage itself. Um, it, it, you know, those are all the tried and true things, but even, you know, new ways to actually use your card and integrate it into um, your day-to-day -day life, whether it's, uh, uh, well, so one thing that pops out, right, is that uh, like mobile wallets forever have kind of been dominated by Google and Apple and Samsung, the, the things that come on your phone right. um, because they kind of own the phone. It was easy for them to kind of preload it and start that kind of vert the digital wallet kind of sure. usage. And we've seen with this kind of the, that, uh, that consortium of banks that have kind of gone in on this new digital wallet that's uh, coming out later this year, um, banks saying, hey, we want a little bit of that. Um, we want a little bit of that business too. Right. And uh, there is a chance for banks to integrate it in a different way that a phone company would integrate it that could potentially have some advantages on how consumers view their finances, how they kind of give them advantages in how they manage their financials because it's integrated with the bank, not integrated with the piece of hardware that you keep in your pocket. Right. Um, so I think there's an opening there that that uh, can really take advantage then of all of those credit card transactions because a lot of them do stem out of a digital wallet now. It's still right. a credit card transaction, but it stems out of a different use case. Totally. Um, and, and there's an opportunity for banks to kind of capture some of that market share. Sure. Um, and then on the cash side, again, we talked about how I think there's this kind of floor where there's still a ton of cash flowing through our environment. Um, and, you know, being able to handle and manage that stuff as efficiently as possible and even kind of, you know, getting that off of your mind as a business owner, whether you're whether it's a retailer or whether it's a bank, um, you know, being able to manage that in a more efficient manner is going to be critical. Um, as efficiency just continues to play an outsized role in how successful companies are. Right? Um, so being able to do as much automation around some of that as possible uh, is going to be key, um, when you, especially when you're doing it at scale and you're moving lots of those pieces of paper with green ink on it, right? So just you're moving them around and you're counting them and you're sorting them. And um, the more you can do that in an automated fashion, the, the, the better off you're going to be from an operational efficiency standpoint. Totally. So then beyond some of the services you just mentioned, are there any other services that you think financial institutions should adapt, adopt, or sort of mold 
in response to these trends in payment methods? Anything that you see uh, on the horizon that's going to be key to responding to some of the ways that consumers are engaging with their different payment methods? Well, I think kind of kind of on a related track, right? Um, we've talked a lot about consumer experience being an important aspect of how consumers choose anything, right. and I think uh, you know, especially banks as moving for as we move continue to move forward here, the the data that this shows is just another data point that says you know consumer experience is really what drives consumer choice in pretty much anything, and there's a lot of experiential benefits. Uh, in doing things um, with cards now that didn't exist a few years ago and continuing to drive that experiential benefit forward, whether it's on payment cards or whether it's just in your branch, your branch experience, or whether it's ha- the, the experience you have when you talk to a financial advisor. Kind of that, it's all wrapped up in a consumer's uh, opinion of the business they're doing business with, whether it's a retailer or whether it's a bank. And, and I think you know taking that into account and really kind of continuing to push that experience forward, whether it's making the credit card as easy to use so it becomes top of wallet for a customer, or you know, creating a digital wallet that has new and innovative experiences um, that are above and beyond what a phone hardware provider can, can do, or whether it's making cash easy, as easily and accessible as possible so that the customers, when they want to use cash, it's there for them. Um, but at the same time, it's not gumming up operations in the in the businesses that they're doing business with. Right. Um, all kind of contribute to that positive customer experience that's going to drive continued growth. Totally. So then, given these trends, what do you see as the future of ATM solutions in that ecosystem? And how is Hyosung Interview playing its part in responding to this pulse check? Yeah, so uh, that's that's kind of... I mean, the cash automation piece is, is really kind of one of our uh, the, our foundational yeah. pieces of technology, right? And so that's something that we continue to kind of push forward on from a from a capability perspective. And and uh, you know, starting with the introducing recycling into the market a few years ago on self service devices like ATMs, um, but really kind of continuing to push into you know putting automation tools even around the managing of the ATM so that's easier to get cash in and out of it, uh, easier to reconcile that cash, easier to manage how much is necessary, um, putting the, the uh, intelligence around uh, usage trends so that, that banks can know exactly how much they have to have so that they're not going to run out and continue to service their customers, um, while also putting those in boxes, for lack of a better word, that provide an experience to their customer that is on par with what they expect yeah. um, when they utilize self-service devices, right? It does. It it needs to convey a sense of uh, I don't know, currency, or not in the sense of cash currency, but in the sense sure. of current in the environment, like current technology. It needs to convey a sense of uh, of uh, technology the same way that um, that you know, you walk into McDonald's and you use this big, huge screen to order your, your meal now. It, it, you know, it's got to convey the same style of up-to-date technology um, that, that a customer has, customers have learned to trust in every other business. Totally. While also doing all the heavy lifting that a bank has to do that when you're ordering at McDonald's, all they got to do is tell the kitchen what food to give you, right? They're not right. having to count tens of thousands of dollars inside a machine and keep it all sorted and stored, right? So the, the load on an ATM is a little more, but it's yeah. still got to be, the, the experience has still got to be top notch. It can't just be the same old ATM that people have been using for 60 years. Totally. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And again, I think if financial institutions, if uh, ATM solutions providers, uh, regardless, anyone that is having to respond to these trends, if they really look at how they're reflective of the consumer experience, which ones of those are motivated by just new technology and the efficiencies they bring? How many of those decisions are motivated by sort of social norms and social relationship we have to payment? And then crafting their solutions and strategies to match, I think that will give them the most accurate reflection of how to make the right changes and where to find, you know, areas of consistency in their solutions too. Things that don't need to change, even if it feels like this new technology is the most efficient you know, way for a consumer to pay for this. Well, if the social aspect of it doesn't really encourage them to pay that way, maybe don't force the change on it. Maybe adapt elsewhere, maybe provide an option, but 
you know, play a little bit more of um, tug of war a little bit, I guess, with with the um, motivating change uh, and with the the role that the consumer's own choice actually plays in shaping these trends in the first yeah, place. Yeah, I think I think you're right on. And it really, you know, the 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 worst thing to do is to develop technology just for just a solution for solution's sake, right? Sure. It really has to you really have to kind of look at the environment and what you're trying to solve. And that that really kind of has led us to starting to develop things that are that are outside of the ATM that are augmenting the ATM operational experience to make it even more efficient and more kind of automated um, from start to finish the entire cycle as opposed to just once the cash gets inside the box um, because you got to look at the experience that happens in every facet of that bank branch or every facet of that retailer when they're having to you know reconcile their books you know do their end of day closing do their kind of daily deposit into the bank whatever um, you know putting the, the stuff in place that solves a problem that makes that stuff easier, makes right. it more efficient. Um, that's the thing that's then gonna resonate and then either give that bank or give that retailer time back to then focus on their customers. Cause that's what they wanna do. A bank doesn't wanna count money. A bank wants to focus on their customer and give them the services that they need. And every, every minute they're moving a pile of money from one location in the branch to the other is a minute that they can't be focusing on a customer. So, you know, more than just ATMs providing the services all around them for anybody that is moving a lot of cash within their walls, a retailer, a, a, you know, a, 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 even a sporting venue or a, a bank branch um, to, to not have to worry about that operational aspect and really kind of focus on the experiential aspect. Well, I think with that, we can go ahead and wrap up the conversation. I think that is a, a pretty good, you know, just high-level breakdown of both of these surveys. I do recommend to our audience that y'all dig into these surveys yourselves because yes. there were a lot of metrics lot we of didn't touch points, on. Yes. Yeah. Um, we probably could be chatting for three hours if we really broke down each data point. So highly recommend y'all check those out. We'll uh, obviously link them in the posts here um, with uh, the podcast. But again, Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for helping us break down again the Federal Reserve Payment Study of 2022, the Triennial Data Survey, and the Federal Reserve 2023 Diary of Consumer Payment Choice Findings. Um, well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be here. Thanks yeah, for of course. Real pleasure. And if folks... Uh, Want to pick your brain any more on this? Where can we point them to? Well, at, at our website, uh, heasunginterview.com, we've got contact us features as well. Um, and as you mentioned, we've got a lot of content on there from, you know, all of our historical podcasts to some other, you know, kind of instructional videos or, or uh, feature videos and even some blog posts on, on with some background on some of these topics too. Perfect. But definitely also have a contact us feature where you can get in touch with us and kind of ask us questions and, and uh, spend some time talking to us about the, the features and functionality we have as well as just the industry in general. Love it. All right. Bill Buddy, VP of Banking Strategy and Solutions at Hyosung Interview. Always a pleasure getting to chat. Thank you for coming in studio. And I'm looking forward to the next one. Always yeah, more to too. break down. Always. Always. I love it, man. Thank you again. Yep. And thank you everyone for joining us on another episode of Banking Experiences Elevated, a Hyosung Interview podcast. If you like what you heard and saw today and you want previous episodes of the show, make sure that you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And of course, heading to our website, hyosunginterview.com. Uh, on there, you'll also find, like Bill said, plenty of resources and other episodes of the show, future and previous. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Banking Experiences Elevated.